0: 세균의 <목소리> i okay.
1: Good morning. morning. It is great to have you all with us this morning as we come together and worship our God together in this place that he's invited us to come and be here with him and worship him together. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim, I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you're here with us and you're visiting if there's anything you'd like to let us know about yourself, there's a Connect card on the seat in front of you. We'd invite you to fill that out, and uh, whatever information you want to let us to know, for, write that on the Connect card, and then you can put those in the wooden boxes on the back wall on your way out this morning. And those wooden boxes are also where tithes and offerings can be placed. <clears throat> a couple of announcements to bring to your attention. One is that this morning we're starting a new series going through Galatians. And so if you're, you're on our email list, you hopefully got an email on Thursday talking about how we have these little Galatians Bible journals available. So they're out in the wicker basket on on the right-hand side on your way out this morning. And so they're just a little, they're just the book of Galatians with the Bible text on the left-hand page and a place for notes on the right-hand page. And So like my hope is that you would you're interested, use this instead of like maybe just writing sermon notes on your bulletin or whatever it may be. and Just as a way to kind of keep those together. Because right? I know when I always took sermon notes, like i just like write them somewhere and then they would get lost forever and so it's a little bit helpful way Whether use it for sermon notes or use it for just your own personal reflections, reading through Galatians. Like, my hope is that this series will be a time where you really just kind of think deeply about what the book has to say, what God has to teach us in this book, and so if you didn't grab one, um, right before the sermon, there can be a time where we're going to dismiss kids to children's church, so it's going to be kind of chaotic anyway. You can kind of just sneak out, grab one back there, and sneak back in, and we'll, we'll wait for you, right? Um, the cost is $5, but if that's a problem, we don't want that to be a barrier, and so and I would encourage you, if you're going to grab one just right now, this morning, like, don't worry about paying now. We trust you to get that money to us eventually, um, and if not, you need this more than you know, whatever else. Um, so. so, if you are interested in grabbing one of those, like, why don't we that for children's church? You can sneak out, grab one, come back in. So as, a, as a church, we talk about wanting to be about three things, like reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and serving others. Right? So my hope is that this, this Galatians series and this little Bible journal will be a tool you use to help you grow to be like Christ. But when we talk about reaching others, we want to both be about reaching people in our community as ourselves, going out sharing the gospel, but then also we do that through supporting missionaries. And so one way to do that this morning is that you'll see in your bulletin, there's an envelope for Christmas gift for our missionaries. And so on the back of your bulletin, you see a list of the missionaries we'll be sending, dividing that money up to and sending out Christmas gifts, which is a way of encouraging them and supporting them as they advance the gospel in different parts of the world. So if you're interested in donating to that, you can put the money in that that envelope and drop it in the wooden boxes on your way out. But in addition to missionaries we regularly support, like these, we also have the joy of sending out people on short-term mission trips from time to time. And so we have the privilege this morning of hearing from Sue Beth Gustafson as she prepares to go and support the church in Cuba. So I'm going to have Sue Beth come and tell us more about what she's um, about to do.
2: Thank you. My name is Sue Beth, and I have a wonderful privilege this week of going to Cuba with my brother George and his wife Melody and 13 other people, and we are going in support of pastors in um, Cuba. We're going to land in the east end of Cuba and ride a bus and visit many churches on the way and end up in Havana. Um, it'll just be a one-week trip. Um, Cuba right now is experiencing um, deep economic um, troubles. Um, we, they were scheduled some evangelistic meetings um, this week, but they had to cancel them because there's no gas in the country for people to even get to um, evangelistic meetings. There's no medicine in the hospitals. So um, we're taking... Um, like things that you would have in your medicine cabinet. We're taking um, clothing. We're taking um, money. My brother and his friends that are in um, business world are supporting pastors for $16 a month. That's living as a family off of 50 cents a day. So we're taking um, monies to them, and computers for the pastors to use. We're taking lanterns that are uh, solar-generated lanterns and cell phones for them. Um, And my brother has ordered 100 bikes because they don't have car access or gas access, so they use bikes to travel to visit their churches and their um, congregational their congregation in um, the various towns that we'll be going to. So I, I would ask you to pray for us. Um, thank you to those of you who've given gifts already to go. Um, I'm asking for prayer for unity for our group. Um, I'm praying for the bus driver. I'm praying for the pastors that we go to see, that we would encourage them, and um, and that they would um, see more people come to know Jesus. I'm praying for our health. Um, we're taking Baptismal before we start off on Tuesday morning to keep us um, from getting sick, hopefully. Um, so, as you think of us this next week, please pray for us, pray for safety, pray for the bus. Um, apparently in the past the bus has broken down because the diesel's so rotten that it just clogs up everything that makes the bus go. So who knows what's going to happen this week. Satan's got his little ideas, but um, God is bigger than him. This week I read in my devotion Psalm 67, verse 7, God blesses us so that the ends of the earth may fear him. So thank you for your prayers and your support.
1: Let me pray for you. Father God, we praise you for the work you are doing even now in Cuba through these pastors who are living on very meager means and the way they're advancing your kingdom in a hard place. Economically hard and politically hard. And pray that you would be with them as they seek to be faithful to your calling to advance the gospel to the people of Cuba uh, in the midst of those trying circumstances. And we pray for Sue Beth and for the rest of those who are going on this trip for that you would be with them, that they would be encouraging and um, edifying to the church in Cuba, to the pastors in Cuba, for that you would um, give them safety and protection, that you give them wisdom and insight on how to best support um, the pastor's therapy, that you give them unity and joy in being together as they go on this trip. Um, would you pray for your protection, your guarding against all the things that could possibly go wrong, and that this trip would serve to be a means that you delight to use to see your kingdom advance, to see your gospel advance, advance throughout Cuba, that this would be a trip that served to bring you honor and glory and praise. We thank you for your best willingness to be faithful and to go on this trip, um, so that you would be with her and the rest of the group as they go. Praise pray so in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Okay.
2: So we'll continue in our worship. Again, we're, th- we're thinking looking ahead towards our celebration of communion after the message. So as we sing some songs, you know, hopefully um, as you think about your life, you get convicted of the sin that's in it. I'm sure there's plenty if you're human. But the songs we're going to sing give us hope because Jesus has made a way for those sins to be taken care of, and his grace is extended to us. And so we're going to celebrate that. So please stand with us now as we think about and celebrate his wonderful grace to us.
1: Our sin, though our sins are many and numerous, your grace is still greater. Because of that, we can worship you, knowing we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we stand before you, declared righteous, because of what Jesus did for us. We never take that for granted, we never take that lightly, and will that truth move us to live lives that are for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe see them? Children of 4K through 2nd grade at this time have the option of heading down for Children's Church. One announcement, I forgot, is that this morning, we'll take communion at the end of our time together. And during communion, we like, take a special benevolence offering on that Sunday. And so there will be, at the door on your way out this morning, there will be someone holding a plate. That will be a special benevolence offering to help meet needs in our community. Like I a regular tithement offering can go in the wooden box, but the special benevolence offering can go in, on the, in the plate on your way out this morning. This morning we're starting a series in, in Galatians, and one of the kind of big themes of Galatians is that we are free, right? we're free in Christ. It seems appropriate then that we're starting this series the day after Veterans Day, right? a day when we celebrate and remember those who serve to keep us Americans free, and so Those of you who are here who are veterans, we we thank you for your service, and we just remember all that it's done on our behalf to keep us free, even as we look forward to the greater freedom that is found in, in Christ. So thank you for those of you who are here who have served in that way. So in 1927, the Traub Manufacturing Company which makes engagement rings and, and wedding rings, they unveiled the new slogan to help sell their rings. And the slogan was, often imitated, never duplicated. And by 1928, just one year later, right, at least two other companies had not just imitated, but duplicated the exact same slogan and were using it to sell their own products. And down through history, it seems like countless companies have been using that same slogan. In fact, I've, I learned about Traub Manufacturing Company and the companies that copied them because I was Googling the phrase, often imitated, never duplicated. Right? Because I like had this memory from my childhood of like hearing some commercial where they used that phrase and I was trying to remember who it was. And I never did find that company from my childhood, right? It was probably some local business doing a little bad local TV commercials. Right? but I did find numerous other examples of companies using that phrase, often imitated, never duplicated. And there's something, like, just deeply ironic, right, about the phrase often imitated, never duplicated, being duplicated by company after company after company in an effort to sell you on the uniqueness of their product. But I it that, that slogan has have become, it actually would be a fitting slogan for how Paul describes the gospel in the book of Galatians. And so this morning we're, we're starting this series through the book of Galatians, and one of the big themes that comes up in the book of Galatians is that, is that right, the gospel, right, or the good news, which is what the word gospel means. It's good news about what Jesus has done. Right? One of the big themes of Galatians is that the gospel, the good news is, maybe sometimes imitated, but never duplicated. That the good news, the gospel, all about how we are made right with God. And almost every religion has some kind of answer to that question. But only Christianity says that it has nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with what God has done for you in Jesus. Only Christianity says that the way for you to be made right with God and the way for you to have your sins forgiven is Jesus plus nothing. The gospel is often imitated. Everyone wants to be made right with God, or at least right with their own conscience if they don't believe in God. They still feel this need to be made right with somehow, some way. The gospel is imitated, but it's never duplicated. No other religion says that it has nothing to do with what you do. No other worldview said that it doesn't depend on you, but on somebody else. And the book of Galatians then addresses an issue that we're all kind of hardwired to struggle with. And then we have that feeling that we we must need to do something. We must somehow have to add to the work of Jesus. Like surely we must have to do something to add to the work if we're going to deserve forgiveness and eternal life with God. We all feel this, this pull to have it depend on us somehow. Like the very first line of, of Philip Reichen 's commentary on Galatians is this. He says, Galatians is a letter for recovering Pharisees. And in the New Testament, the Pharisees are portrayed as those who, who were always going above and beyond to, to keep the law. They were fastidious in keeping all the commandments. Ryken goes on to say, the Pharisees thought that what God would do for them depended on what, on what they did for God. So they read their Bible, they prayed, they tithed, and they kept the Sabbath as if their salvation depended on it. What they failed to understand is that God's grace cannot be earned. It only comes free. Like we all right, have a little bit of Pharisee in us. We're all prone to think that our salvation depends on what we do for God, not just what God did for us. And the sort of, like, oddly comforting thing about Galatians is that we see that that desire to add something to Jesus is not new. We are not alone in this struggle. This is the struggle that Christians have been feeling since the very beginning of the church. We are all recovering Pharisees. And my hope in this series, as we walk through this book of Galatians, is that this time in Galatians will help us continue on our path of recovery from Pharisaism. That we'll all become a little bit less convinced that it depends on us, and more convinced that it's Jesus plus nothing. So with that in mind, let's look at what Paul has to say to the churches in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes this. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave His life for our sins, just as God, our Father, planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever, Amen. I'm gonna pause there for one second, right? the question? Like, have you ever had the experience? Right, where You just like walk into a room and like just know you're in trouble. Right? Like, like, maybe you're a kid and you and you walk into the house from playing outside and your mom or your dad calls you by your full name. <laughs> like, Timothy Ryan Byer, get over here. I just, it's Bad news, right? Like, maybe you walk into to your workplace one morning and you say good morning to your co-worker and all they give you is a cold nod in return. And you just know right you're in trouble for something. Or maybe you walk into your house and you, you try to give your spouse a hug and they, they just give you the cold shoulder. And you just know right, there's something is wrong. Like, you may not know what it is you did yet, but you did something. Right. Now, of course, like, none of those have ever happened to me. Right. They're all just hypothetical. Right? Right. right? But maybe you've had that experience of having just a very brief interaction with someone, and in that brief interaction, you know you're in trouble with them. Right. And that feeling of just knowing you're in trouble would be the feeling that the Galatians have when they read these five verses. It doesn't sound very harsh, anything Paul wrote, but they would know because right, ancient letters followed a very clear formula for how they went at the beginning. So we start our letter by saying, Dear so-and-so, or to whom it may, to whom, whom, to whom it may concern. Right? But people in that time started their letters with a very extensive formula. First, it started by identifying the author. Right? The first one, Paul says... This letter is from Paul an apostle. Right? So check. It identifies the author. Right? The next step in the formula then was to identify and to bless <coughs> the recipients of the letter. So verses 2 and 3. Right? Paul writes: All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. Right? So there's the identification. And then, verse 3, may God The Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. There's the blessing. So check, check. So so far, we're following the formula well. Then the final step in the formula for starting a letter back then was to offer some kind of thanks for the recipient. So for example, in in Philippians, the opening has all those same elements. And in fact, Paul uses the exact same line at the end of Philippians 1-2. May God the Father And our Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. But then in verse 3 in Philippians, Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. There's this offering of thanks. Or 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, May God give you grace and peace. So there's the blessing. And then Paul says, We always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. So there's the, the thanksgiving. That's just the formula. That's how you wrote and started a letter back then. And so when Galatians, when the Galatian church starts reading this letter, and they get to verse 3, and it says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. They just know from history and living in that culture, they know that the next thing should be some kind of thanksgiving. So when instead, what they read next, if Paul just jumping into his letter by saying, Jesus gave his life for our sins, and there's no thanksgiving there, They know they're in trouble. Paul doesn't offer a word of thanks for us, like, uh uh-oh. That's like them getting called by their full name. They know they're in trouble. And starting in verse 6, we see why the Galatians are in Paul's doghouse. He says this, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches another good news than the one you welcomed, Let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So the Galatians, the church in Galatia, in trouble. According to Paul, they are turning away from God by following another that pretends to be good news. They're, they're, they're following a, one that pretends to be good news, but it's actually not good news at all. Right? They're turning away from God by following another gospel. So There's just one problem with that. And it's that there is only one gospel. There is only one good news. And so to follow after a different gospel, a different good news, then it's to follow something that's not good news, not gospel at all. And what we'll see this morning, and as we go through this letter in the weeks ahead, is that the Galatians were trying to replace the one true gospel with another gospel that looked a lot like the true gospel, but that twisted that gospel in subtle ways that led down dangerous roads. This letter is so important for us. If we aren't careful, we can very easily do the same thing. We can lose sight of the core truth of the gospel. We can lose sight of the, the singular, singularity, the singleness, the, the aloneness of the gospel and turn away from God by, by chasing after false gospel that are not actually gospels at all. so this morning, I just want to take a closer look at this passage with you and, and see what it had to tell us about the gospel, so that we can make sure that we are following the one true gospel. and in particular, I want to I'm going to consider four things with you this morning. The first is the origin of the gospel, then the core of the gospel, then the singularity of the gospel, then the application of the gospel. The so first, let's, let's consider the origin of, of the gospel. Look at verse 1 with me. The, the very first thing that Paul says after introducing himself right, is, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who, who raised Jesus from the dead. I'm Not appointed by people, but by God. Or verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Just look at that. Look at verse 6 if you have it in front of you. You're turning away from God who who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Paul doesn't say, I'm shocked that you're turning away from God who was available to you when you all on your own, through your own self-effort, decided you were going to reach out to him. He doesn't say that. It's not just that God was available when you decided you were ready for him. But it's that God called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Everything in the Bible starts with God and His action. The Bible is not a record of of man's effort to reach out and understand God. It's a story of God reaching down to us, revealing Himself to us, and calling us to Himself. The authors of the Bible, including Paul... They weren't just doing their best to record their own thoughts about God and then put them on paper for others to read. They were recording the words that God gave them for our ability to know God. Everything in the Bible starts with God, and that includes the Gospel. In verse four, Paul says, "Jesus gave His life for our sins, just as as what, just as God." Our Father planned. In Ephesians 1, Paul puts it even more clearly. Version 4 and 5 of Ephesians 1, Paul writes Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. God is the origin of the gospel. It is His plan. His plan from before the world is even made. It's not His plan B. The gospel starts with God, and He is the, the origin of the gospel. There is one very, very important implication then of that. Then since everything starts with God, since since the gospel all comes through God's initiative, then the most important thing about you is not who the world says you are, it's not who you say you are, but it's who God says you are. Look again at verse 1 if you have it in front of you. This is why Paul goes out of his way to make clear that he's an apostle not by human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. We'll see in the weeks ahead as we go through this book that not everyone wanted to accept Paul as an apostle. Some people thought he wasn't worthy, he didn't meet the criteria, but for Paul it didn't matter. Because Paul knew that it wasn't human opinion that made him an apostle, it was God who made him an apostle. The most important thing about you is not who the world says you are, not who even you think you are, but who God says you are. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about you and I being transformed in the eyes of God from a sinner worthy of death into a justified and redeemed and made righteous follower of Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't even know what all this means. Maybe when I say the word gospel, it, you don't really know what I'm talking about. Maybe the word justified and redeemed don't really mean anything to you. Thankfully, Paul boils down the content of the gospel for us in, in verse 4. Look at, look at verse 4 with me. If you're using that Bible journal, you're taking notes in your own Bible, somehow I, I just urge you to, to underline or mark off in some way like verse 4. Because that's kind of the heartbeat of this passage here. Verse 4 says this. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. And that's the good news that all of Christianity is built around. Without that core, without that central truth, you don't have Christianity. In the next verse, Paul's going to say that if anyone preaches a different good news, if anyone preaches a different gospel, then let that person be cursed. What he's saying when he says that is that if, if anyone teaches something other than this, then what they are teaching cannot rightly be called Christianity. It's not true, and they deserve to be condemned by God. At this verse, at the core of the gospel message, the core of the gospel, right here. The gospel that Jesus, the sinless Son of God, gave right, freely of His own will His life for our sins. And that word for is extremely important. Tim Keller puts it this way the word for means on behalf of or in place of. Substitution is why the gospel is so revolutionary. Christ's death was not just a general sacrifice but a substitutionary one. He did not merely buy us a second chance, giving us another opportunity to get life right and stay right with God. He did all we needed to do, but could not do. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That last phrase is important. Our hope, right—the hope that the gospel offers. It's not that this world will slowly get better and better, and one day it'll be made perfect. Right? This world is not our home. Jesus died to rescue us from this evil world, this evil age, to take us out of this world to a better one. It's not hard to look around right, and see evidence that that this world is evil. Look many places. You see the evilness of the world. And then, so if your source of hope is in this world getting better and better over time, you will be terribly disappointed. From the early 1700s until 1914, the predominant view of how history would play out among most Christians was something called postmillennialism, Which is basically this idea, right, that that Christianity would, would continue spreading throughout the earth. And because Christianity was spreading, the world would get better and better and better. And eventually, Jesus would return over this and rule over this vastly improved world. It was a kind of Christian progressivism. It was this belief that things are just going to always keep improving and improving and getting better and better. But that view of popularity fell off a cliff in 1914. Why 1914? If you know your history, right, when World War I started, and suddenly World War I came and it brought death and terrible things, and it d- destroyed this idea that the world would continue to get better and better. And since World War I, like, post-millennialism is pretty much non-existent among most Christian scholars. The world we live in right now is an evil world. And our hope is not that this world will one day get better, but that Jesus came in order to rescue us from this evil world. And that one day he will return and he will usher in a new age, a new world, a new heaven, a new earth. Where well, there will no longer be evil. There will no longer be pain or suffering or death or sickness or tears. And we'll be welcome in that world because Jesus rescued us. Not because of anything we did, but because Jesus gave his life for our sins. And that is the gospel. That's the good news. That is our, our great hope. And the danger we need to guard against is thinking that the gospel is merely where our kind of, relationship with God starts, but then we, we move beyond The gospel is a deeper and more important and more spiritual thing. At this core of the gospel, this this central hub of the gospel, there's no moving beyond it in the Christian life. J.D. Greer says, The gospel is not the diving board off which we jump into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself. It is not only the way we begin in Christ, it is the way we grow in Christ. All of Christian life flow from the good news of what Jesus has done. We never move past the gospel. We never move past this core, central truth. All of our life is to be centered around and influenced by this message, that Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That is the gospel, and it is the only gospel. But people still try to find their hope in other places. Paul goes out of his way here to make it abundantly clear that there is only one gospel. He highlights the the singularity of the gospel here in the rest of our passage. The the gospel is ultimately the message of how, despite the brokenness we see around us, despite the brokenness we feel inside of us, we can have hope. We can know that there is meaning and purpose to all of it. That there's a way we can be made right with God. Like everyone's looking for that hope. Right? In one form or another, everyone is craving that kind of hope, that sense of purpose and of meaning and of being made right with God. Even if they weren't articulated that way, we all crave it in some fashion. People look for that hope in all different ways verses 6 and 7, Paul says, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. The people that Paul is writing to and addressing are following a different gospel, a different good news that actually wasn't good news at all. And it becomes clear as the book of Galatians goes on that in this case, the, the different gospel, the different good news that they were being taught had to do with doing certain works in addition to Jesus for their salvation. There were many Christians from, from Jewish backgrounds, including notably Peter the Apostle, who were requiring Gentile converts to, to adopt some Jewish practices, along with trusting Jesus. Right? They were adding something to Jesus for salvation. And in the church in Galatia, the the core issue, the core hang up seems to be around circumcision. Like, you can understand the hesitancy of Gentile converts to that being added all of a sudden. Like, it feels like the ultimate bait and switch. But just picture yourself as the the Gentile, and you hear this message of free grace that you can be saved all because of what Jesus has done for you. There's nothing you can add to it, and that's not, you think, like, well, that sounds great. I'm in, like, I trust Jesus. And then someone comes up and says, like, oh, yeah, it's like, one more little thing. Like, we need you to uh, be circumcised. Right? And, like, like, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what happened to free grace? What happened to it, it all depends on, on what Jesus has done. And circumcision, right, is an extreme example. And thankfully, it's not a contentious issue today, but... A, the main point is they were trying to add something to Jesus as a requirement for salvation, and that still happens all the time today. We're all prone to feel that need to add some kind of work to what Jesus has done for us. Maybe it's not circumcision or obeying food laws, which is another issue in Galatia, but like for us, it might be like that. I have long enough quiet time. Am I doing a good enough job as a parent? Am I I doing enough to promote social justice? Am I watching the right TV shows? Am I spending my money the right way? Am I belonging to the right political party? We had all these things on top of Jesus. We're all prone to the kind of pharisaical good works. There's, there's an old Alan Jackson song called Where I Come From. Right? And in that case, Where, where I Come From, like, that's the Bible Belt. Like He's from Alabama or Georgia or something. Like, it's Bible Belt. And in that very song, right, it says, Where I Come From, it's cornbread and chicken. Where I Come From, a lot of front porch sitting. A lot of people sitting around trying to make a living. And they said, Working hard to get to heaven. Like this guy from the heart of the Bible belt who claimed Christianity, he had this line in his own song saying, I'm working hard to get to heaven. We're so prone to think we have to add something to what we do for, to earn God's favor. We have this pharisaical tendency in us. We're all prone to following false gospels. Philip Ryken says, we worship in a church of many gospels. There is the gospel of material prosperity, which teaches that Jesus is the way to financial gain. There is the gospel of family values, which teaches that Jesus is the way to a happy home. There is the gospel of self, which teaches that Jesus is the way to personal fulfillment. There is the gospel of religious tradition, which teaches that Jesus is the way to respectability. There is the gospel of morality, which teaches that Jesus is the way to be a good person. What makes these other gospels so dangerous that the things they offer are all beneficial? It is good to be prosperous, to have a happy home, and to be well-behaved. Yet as good as all these things are, they are not the good news. When they become for us a sort of gospel, then we are in danger of turning away from the only gospel there is. There is only one gospel. The gospel is singular. So, here's my urging, my plea with you. Don't follow a way that pretends to be good news, but is not good news at all. Place all your hope in Jesus and in Him alone, not Jesus plus good works, not Jesus plus strict morality. Not Jesus plus church attendance. I'm glad you're here. Place your hope in Jesus plus nothing. But well, must be careful even in saying that. Because Jesus plus nothing does not mean that as long as we trust Jesus, we're totally free to live however we want. That's just another false gospel. We might call that the, the faith-so gospel. As in, like, I have faith so I can do whatever because I'm already forgiven. And Paul makes clear at the end of this passage that there is a right way to live out the gospel. There's a right application of the gospel. There is a way that believing in the one true gospel ought to impact our lives. And so in verse 10 he, he writes, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So many of the false gospels that we're tempted to follow after are actually about winning the approval of people. We want people to look at us and and see how holy we are, or to see how happy we are, or to see how wealthy we are. We want people to look at us and see how successful we are, how committed to a cause we are. It's all about pleasing people. The Pharisees kept all those Jewish laws not because they wanted to honor God, but because they wanted to be honored for their own religiosity. But when we truly grasp the gospel, the gospel frees us to live only for the glory of God. And not for earning the accolades of people. And I don't know about you,, right, but, but that last sentence, in Galatians 110, like just cuts me. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And it cuts me because, like, I'm keenly aware of how often I care far too much about pleasing people. There's a lot of people-pleasers still dwelling in my heart that need to be rooted out by the power of the gospel. There's a lot of people-pleasing still in me that needs to be rooted out by remembering that Jesus gave his life for my sins in order to rescue me from the evil world in which I live. That I'm free because of what Jesus did to live not for people's pleasure, but for God's honor and glory. I've got a long way to go on that. But the way we, we make progress, the way I begin to grow my freedom from religious performance if by remembering what Christ did for me. That's why we never get past the gospel. We need to be reminded over and over again of what Jesus did. And as we remember the gospel, then we're free from the grips of religious performance. We're free from the grips of pleasing man. At the end of this letter, in Galatians 5, Paul will write this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Because of Christ, you you are free. But then he says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The gospel frees us to live a life of faithful service to God and of love for one another. No longer trying to please people, but by seeking to honor God. We're free to do that because of the gospel. But it all starts with remembering the gospel. With constantly dwelling on the fact that Jesus died for us. We've been set free from the need to perform or to earn favor because Jesus did it all on our behalf. That is the one true gospel. So we grow by remembering that gospel, and we remember the gospel not just by hearing it from God's word, like we just did, but also by enacting that same gospel, which is what we do in communion. In communion, we we remember that Jesus' body was broken. That blood was spilled for us. That Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins in our place. So by believing in Him, we could be forgiven. So when we stand together, we walk forward to take these elements. It's not just an act we do, again, to earn God's favor, to add to our salvation, but as a way of reminding ourselves of, Physically feeling and being reminded of what Jesus did for us. So if you're here and you've you've never trusted Jesus, there's nothing magical more about to do in taking this communion. There's no special power in the taking the element themselves. if you're here and you never trusted Jesus, then rather than taking the element that urge you to trust in Jesus. But for those of us who are here who have trusted in Christ, just a minute, I'll invite you to come forward, take a piece of bread, take a cup, return to your seats. As you're sitting in your seat, holding the elements, holding the cup, holding the wafer, I just urge you to to dwell and to reflect and to remember what Christ has done for you. If you require gluten-free elements, they're in the wicker baskets in the back of the table. If you would rather not step up and come forward because it's easier for you to stay in your seat, someone will come around and they will bring the elements to you. For this time, not just something we do because it's the second Sunday of the month and we go through the motions, right? but taking communion is a chance to remember all that Christ did for us and all the ways that it impacts our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, to live among us, to die in our place. That after living the the sinless life we could not live. He died the death we deserve to die. That so by believing in him, we could be forgiven. We could be rescued. We could look forward to eternal life with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we confess that we are prone to trying to earn your favor through our own work. We're we confess that we're prone to caring about the opinions of other people more than your opinion of us. Father, we pray that as we take the bread and this cup now that you would work in our heart to remind us of all that you've done for us in Jesus. You would teach us what it looks like to live all for your glory, not for the praise of other people. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're ready, may we come forward, and grab a piece of bread, grab a cup, return to your seat, and when everyone has it, we will partake together.
2: And as you're waiting in line, feel free to join us as we sing the communion hymn. Thank you.
0: Remember our call to follow.
1: Son, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Father, we confess that we are so quick to forget all that you've done for us. We're quick to forget all the good things you've given us. We're prone to think that we somehow earn them ourselves. And above all, we can be quick to forget that you sent your Son to die in our place and that without Jesus we would be utterly without hope. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you that in your wisdom you gave us this ordinance, this meal, this time of communion to pause and to fix our hearts on what you did for us in Christ. We thank you for the endless, infinite grace and mercy that it points us to. We thank you that Jesus came and he died for us. We thank you that there is nothing we can do to add to what Christ did on our behalf. As we go from here, we go out into our lives. And though, as we read this morning, this world is evil, we go seeking to advance your kingdom to establish little pockets of your Kingdom here on earth while we wait for the day when you return and set all things right. We go living faithfully, seeking to bring you honor and glory and praise. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go from here this morning? Would you go? remembering that there is only one gospel, and would you go living out the truths of that gospel? You are dismissed.